This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hi, I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Allison Wilgus. And welcome to this episode of Graphic Novel TK. Today we're talking about how a book goes from a pitch to a book deal. We're going to be talking to a few people in the next few episodes who will take us inside a publishing house to get their take on this process. Uh, today we're talking to a wonderful agent, Jen Lenan, who will take us on a deep dive into this very specific part of getting your book made. So Jen, thank you for coming and talking to us today. Hi. Um, so I'm Jen. I'm a literary agent, um, and I also happen to specialize in representing illustrators, cartoonists, graphic novelists, um, whatever your preferred term for them is, along with authors. And... I should talk a little bit about myself. <laughs> yeah, you definitely should. Um, how did you become an agent? I actually was an English chemistry double major. And of course, my most often received career advice from people who wanted me to make the most of my English major was to write chemistry textbooks, which um, sounded like the worst job <laughs> ever. Um, I had worked in at a legit chemical company one summer, I think the summer after my junior year of college. And I looked around and I looked at my lab work, which was, you know, laundry detergent. And I thought, I do not want to work on laundry detergent for 40 years. How about books? (laughs) And um, it turned out that one of the staff members of the Columbia Publishing course was coming up to my college to recruit and talk about the program. I ended up going to that course the summer after I graduated and, you know, met a bunch of publishing people, learned about all parts of the publishing process, including a really awesome comparison of subsidiary rights to a bowl of Um, (laughs) M&Ms. And I thought, (laughs) I thought this sounds like a pretty cool industry. I get to do stuff that I love. Um, I actually wanted to go into editorial at first, and after doing a lot of research and going on a lot of interviews, I found that agenting overlapped, and, and really the stuff that I loved about what editors get to do, which is working with creators and helping books get made, you get to do that even more as an agent, and you get to really be an advocate and and push for projects to happen, you know, you get to be the sole decider of the the projects that you take on and and hopefully make them come true and make them a reality. So um, that's that's how I ended up in this business. And uh, it's been almost 10 years. It's a little over 10 years at this point. So um, pretty exciting. I think I know who your first client was, but I think I'm going to get it wrong if I say it. It was Emily Carroll. It was Emily Carroll. Okay. <laughs> I started out actually at a one of the oldest literary agencies in the world, Greenberger Associates, and they started out as a scouting agency for like Kafka and the Little Prince and just bringing all of these books over from Europe. I started there, you know, answering phones and making coffee and kind of worked my way up. And when I was allowed to take on clients, you know, everyone there kind of had a specialty. And they said, well, what do you want your specialty to be? And, you know, what are you, what are you interested in? And I said, web comics. And I got some looks. <laughs> and I got some, you know, is that like Calvin and Hobbes? You know, like, you know, Garfield syndicated type stuff. And I said, well, no, not quite. <laughs> um, and they were like, all right, well, go ahead. That sounds entrepreneurial. 
And I, you know, was going through all of my favorite comics online and just waiting kind of for the right opportunity for, for someone who really seemed like an awesome storyteller. And that Halloween, his face all red was posted online and I saw all of my favorite webcomics linking to it. And I, was, I went through and it was just like mind blowing and awesome. And I went in to work the next day and I was like, I have to, I have to write to this person and hopefully they'll want to work with me. I've never done anything before. And Emily at the time only had a live journal. Oh <laughs> and, God, that's right. Um, no contact info anywhere. I love her. <laughs> um, and that's probably why we're working together is because, you know, while Neil Gaiman was tweeting about it, Scott McCloud was tweeting about this comic None of the other established agents were able to find her contact info, and I wrote to her through um, Flickr mail. <laughs> I was going to ask, did you just leave a comment on her LJ, yes. or did I was you? I was debating. I was like, I have to be a professional, and I actually joined Twitter to try and communicate with Emily Carroll, <laughs> but of course we weren't mutuals, so it didn't work. Um, but yeah, and I, I remember like I was so nervous to get on the phone and I had never done the conversation before I had to like role play. And when I finally got on, she was like, well, thank you for tracking me down. <laughs> that must have been a lot of work. Through the Woods was actually the first book I ever sold and it turned into you know, a really exciting experience for me, a baby agent. Um, and after that, you know, it made sense to, you know, as I was taking on clients, I wanted to move away from being an assistant and have more time to take on new people and really get, you know, for, um, for agents, it takes a long time to really build up a backlist and, and have money coming in. So I wanted to do that full time. And at that point it made sense to kind of do that on my own and have, you know, all of the commission that come in end up, you know, not going to agency overhead or anything like that. Um, and I found out afterwards, you know, when everyone was like, that was so brave, that it was a very, <laughs> it was a very um, courageous move, especially, you know, not having any kind of job security or things like that. But um, it turned out to be a good time. You know, comics really took off in, in the book market and we're doing well. <laughs> so to kind of bring this back around to the yeah, topic yeah. of our podcast. No, I mean, actually, this is great because, I mean, so you obviously started working with Emily, for instance, because you were interested in her work and then worked with her, presumably, to figure out what you were going to pitch. Like, So yeah. at this point, do you normally, when you're figuring out people to work with, are people coming and talking to you just saying, I want you to represent me? Are people coming with specific projects? I want you to help me sell this book. Are you still recruiting people? Kind of how do you connect with authors and do they usually have a specific project by the time you're talking yeah, to them? Um, actually, all of those things have happened. Um, I know in the beginning it was very much about me going out and finding cool people that I wanted to work with, um, especially if they would tweet something that sounded kind of secretive about, oh, I'm working on a project, or <laughs> I was all over that. Um, that's how I found a lot of my early clients. Um, now I get a lot of referrals from current clients. Um, so their friends are saying, you know, a lot of times they're at the point of the process where they feel like they're getting a lot of freelance work. They're getting editors saying, oh, do you have any book ideas? And before they really start that process of 
trying to pitch to a publisher, which um, I should mention, it is a possibility for comics artists in particular to pitch directly to publishers, whereas in the traditional book industry, authors, you know, generally it's a requirement for them to have an agent before they can even get their manuscript through to... No um, unsolicited submissions. (laughs) Exactly. So many people have been pitching on their own already um, and sometimes come in with offers from publishers. Um, Some people are getting interest or they're getting those initial conversations and they're saying, well, maybe I should find representation and then they're talking to friends and um, luckily I have clients who are really great about sending their friends my way um, and we have a really good crowd but yeah it really is like some people come in with a napkin idea Um, some people come in with a pitch that has already gotten offers from publishers and then some people come in with the in-between which is I guess what we're going to talk about so when you are thinking about uh, a pitch. What is it? What is involved in the final product that you put together with the author? Well, ideally, um, and and this can vary quite a bit. When um, typically, when you go online and you say, "What do I need for a pitch to publishers?" For fiction writers, for example, they need to have their whole book complete um, and written. And generally, you'll send like a pitch letter with it. Um, for nonfiction writers, you can have an outline. For graphic novels, it can be any number of things. But the idea is that like it takes 18 months or more to finish a graphic novel. And, and that's a really long time um, to, to go through and draw everything. And in most cases, they want to see the book in its infancy so that they can have editorial input. They can tell you, you know, oh, well, don't draw it at this size because it's going to end up (laughs) a totally different shape as a finished book. And that's, you know, that's how we might market it. So having that flexibility when you're pitching a graphic novel means pitching it early. It might involve, you know, having an outline and some sample art. Um, It might involve going through and writing the script for for your comic all the way through, you know, sometimes people will get really detailed and go panel by panel. Sometimes it'll be really loose and just have dialogue and description. Um, and the idea is basically to just give editors a really good idea of what the finished book will look like because they're then going to go, um, and I know that you're going to go into this in more detail in future episodes, they're going to go to the rest of the house and say, I love this, I love this artist. But now I have to convince all of you to love it too. Um, so my job when working with clients on a pitch is to say, you know, how much can we polish this so that people really get what this book is going to be um, and what it's going to look like and who it's for. And they may come back to us with more questions and ask us for more art or more, you know, sample chapters or things like that. But we want them to have a really good idea when it lands on their desk that this is something that they might be able to publish. So we talked to Callista about this a little bit from the editorial side, and one of the things that she said is that, like, she was like, well, this is what I'm looking for in a pitch, but of course that's going to vary a lot from editor to editor and publishing house to publishing house. So when you're talking with an author about a book that they're thinking about pitching and you're thinking about what editors you're going to want to be talking to, do you feel like it varies a lot, like how you're kind of, the the strategy of putting the pitch together? Absolutely, and it also 
can matter too if you're a debut artist and you know if, if this is your first full-length book that you're doing or maybe you've collaborated with people before maybe you've self-published stuff um, that all comes into play as far as how much people need to see before they can really decide I have sold things based on like a five sentence <laughs> description and I've sold things that have had you know a full script 30 pages of full color art um, which is a lot <laughs> and anything you know everything from from A to Z as far as um, complexity I will say that um, in my experience the imprints and the houses that ha tend to focus on comics only generally need to see a little less than imprints that maybe have done one or two graphic novels or they're trying to break into it. Generally, they need more material to really convince the team that this is the book that they're going to be able to break out in a meaningful way. So what kind of a conversation are you having with the cartoonists that you're working with when you're deciding how you're going to put the pitch together and what editors they might want to pitch to? Like, are they usually like, this is my dream publisher and I need to make this work? Or is it more a kind of a back and forth between the two of you? It's, it can vary. Um, there are a lot of really awesome publishers out there. Um, and there are also publishers out there that maybe aren't so good. Um, and a lot of times clients will have very strong opinions. You know, oh, I've worked for this house before. I love them. Or I've worked for this house and I've had a bad experience. I would rather not send to them. And that tends to be very personal. Um, for me, I like to have a really good variety of houses. I like to send... Um, especially comics projects, I want to send them out to both the mainstream imprints and the comics houses um, so that if we get interest, we can get a really good idea from all of the editors, you know, what their visions look like and how they might be different. I always, you know, if, if there's a situation where multiple editors are interested in the book, I always want the client to have options and for it to not just be who is putting out the most money or, you know, the shiniest package. I want them to actually talk with the editors and, you know, get a sense this person really understands what I'm going for and my vision. Um, so up front, I will generally generate a list um, based on my network, people that I know. I might know so-and-so at XYZ House is really looking for a comic about robot ghosts or something, <laughs> um, you know, and, or I might've had lunch with someone at a different house that says like, we're trying to launch a graphic novel imprint and like, please send us, you know, books like this. Um, and so that's always in the back of my mind and it's generally kind of tailoring the specific project to the editors that I think are going to respond to it the best. Um, and then, you know, of course, if they do respond, it's down to, you know, what the client really is hoping will happen and where they want to work. I mean, obviously, there's a certain amount of, like, uh, I know there's only so much you can get <laughs> into this, but can you think of any specific uh, instances of ways that pitches that you've worked on with authors changed because of that kind of conversation? Like, they came to you with, like, I really want to do X, Y, and Z, and you're like, well, maybe if you try Q, this might go a little bit better. I know... Um, it has 
change sometimes the trajectory of a story. Um, but in general, um, and this is something that I heard, I don't remember who said it, but I remember hearing this very early on when I entered publishing, when I was really into editorial, <laughs> as I mentioned, that the best editors don't make projects other, they make them better. So I try not to really change what what the project is, but I do try and guide and say like, okay, well, this type of story might be better at a house that does really commercial stuff or does really, you know, quieter literary stuff. I can guide people as far as the the tone, like if it feels like a younger audience versus a teenage audience um, and kind of give pointers that way um, and tailor that way. But I, I try not to say like, oh, well, you know, you've written... Uh, a romance and this should really be a space opera. So one of the things I hear from authors a lot is that pitches are a lot of work. Yes. <laughs> is that something that you find as well? And how do you kind of work with authors to do that? Because it is it is this work to put together, you know, this whole world, these characters, this plot, and it is work that you are also like not yet getting paid for and might never get paid for if it turns out to not really come together in the end. I admire that. In a sense, it's sort of what I'm doing as well, because all of the work that agents do is is on a commission basis. So like, if I love something and I send it out and it doesn't sell, which happens to literally every agent, you know, whether it's once in a while or not, um, it's it's always heartbreaking and what we always want is like we don't want that work to be wasted so for graphic stuff it's tricky because a lot of it comes down to editors needing to see what the art is going to look like when it's finished um and so that means drawing you know a chunk of the book um and kind of fully realizing it and that's so so much time Obviously, my goal is to not have clients spend a ton of time on something on spec, you know, for free. And my general guidelines are, you know, it's always good to have things written out. Um, and as much as I can, I advocate for clients to have either a full script or a good chunk of it. Like, same as when you're querying agents, a lot of them like to see the first three chapters or 50 pages, roughly, of what the manuscript is going to be, whether it's prose um, or a, a script of a graphic novel. So that's kind of my rule of thumb for sending out a project to editors is I like to have a good chunk of the story at least written. And then the art you know, it depends. A lot of people like to sketch characters for fun, um, you know, dress them. I love seeing like the cast of a webcomic or a book and they're all just hanging out wearing really cool fashions and things like that. Um, and a lot of pitches, we've limited the amount of like fully finished panel by panel art to, you know, maybe a spread or one scene and then we've done either like thumbs or pencils for a larger portion. 
And then we kind of fill it in with like fun stuff, like the cast of the book or a little scene or character turns or something or a cool background. You feel like that's like a tone indicator? Like yeah. looking at this, the emotion that you're feeling when you're looking at this fun illustration is the emotion you're going to feel when you read this book. Exactly. And I think um, one of my clients actually said like, you know, when they were pitching me, that they wanted to put art on every page of the pitch to make it fun to look at. Um, and I don't always say like art has to be on every page of the pitch because sometimes that can be long and intense. Um, but having that visual in there for editors to see and to like show their, their coworkers and like go down the hall and be like, oh my God, have you seen this? It's awesome. Give them something to to grab onto again, to like give them a really good sense of what that finished book is going to be and the energy that it brings, um, can be really helpful and can stand in for, you know, doing 30 pages of finished art, um, which could be months and months of work. So can you tell us a little about the, like the nuts and bolts of the pitch process? So you get that pitch together and then do you call people? Do you email them? What what does that correspondence look like? For me, well, it varies from agent to agent. Um, I will call people if it's someone that I know really well. Um, sometimes it's like a Facebook message or like on Twitter DM, like watch your inbox, <laughs> um, accompanied by like a baby sloth photo or something like that. I think I know exactly who you're talking about with that particular. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a, that's a tell. Um, But in most cases, um, what I will do once our pitch is finished and it's all packaged up into a nice PDF or a series of word files. And I will write a pitch letter um, that really is something that the editor can get like a capsule description of what the work is about, um, kind of a very, very quick synopsis. And also like all the reasons I think it's cool. And basically me saying like, this book is awesome. Here's what it is. Here's what it's similar to. Or, you know, I know you were looking for that robot ghost story and I finally have it. That'll go into the pitch letter. And if I know them well, I'll give them a call and be like, hey, look out for this because it's going to blow your mind. The part of the process after that is waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, and I know one of the things that is everywhere online is just how much authors and artists hate waiting. Especially webcomics people. Yes. <laughs> um, I also hate it. Um, and that's, I think, a part of the process that maybe the creators don't see is that like, um, the agents who are, you know, we're in our towers somewhere um, as the, the gatekeepers. <laughs> and we're also just sitting there like drumming our nails on the table. Like, come on, like it's pictures. So, like, I know that like a, like a sixth grader is going to read this book in an hour. So what's taking you guys so long? <laughs> um, but really, of course, what's happening is they have so many other submissions. They have their actual jobs to do day to day. They're hopefully running around and getting other people at the house to read it. And, um, and they have their own jobs to do. So there's a lot of patience involved in the submissions process. And so my job during that time, other than poking people and sending, you know, cat photos and sloth photos, um, and, and follow-ups is, basically helping clients adjust their expectations for like what's going to happen, when's it going to happen. And as far as that goes, my records (laughs) on the short and the long end were one week 
and over a year for selling a project. Um, and now for the over a year one, mm-hmm. was that with a specific editor for that whole over a year and they just took a really long time to make the decision or was that like you'd been sending it to a bunch of people? It was, I think it was, you know, it was multiple rounds of submission. Um, there definitely have been times where an editor has had something for like nine months and then they've said, oh my God, I just looked at this and it's great. I want to buy it, which is <laughs> which is really um, infuriating and awesome at the same time. Um, but yeah, the timeline can just vary so much depending on that person's workload, you know, if they've taken on a ton of other projects recently, um, if the imprint has taken on a lot. Um, sometimes it's just waiting for that timing to work out. The longest I've heard was two years and it was because the editor saw it, liked it, didn't have room at their publishing house, went and got a new job at a new publishing house and then acquired the book, which still had not sold. <laughs> I, I have had, you know, the wildest situations on Furl on, on submissions, you know, like things where the offer was was coming like next week and then the editor decides to leave publishing forever <laughs> that's happened more than once <laughs> it you know it makes me glad that I'm self-employed <laughs> it's and it's why it's so hard as a creator too I can imagine to be waiting and waiting for for feedback and when the feedback comes it's you know oh I don't think it was quite the right fit <laughs> and then it's my job to extrapolate from that and say like oh well they're just cranky about the weather and so once you've gotten at least one offer on a pitch like kind of how does the process but because we talked a little bit about this when we were talking to Bernadette but like one I think it varies enormously from agent to agent how they handle this process and two kind of I'd love to hear about sort of your spin on it absolutely um it's the best and worst part of the process for me because what I've seen and and what is almost kind of necessary to get the best deal for for your client is like you have to play mind games and I don't love that like I know that there are agents out there who will you know try and drum up interest by saying like oh we have an offer we have an offer and sometimes there isn't an offer and I never I never want to do that um so when we do get interest I will let everyone know right away I like to be as transparent as possible so if it's someone saying you know I'm reading it and it's good I'll say you know we have interest um if they're saying I'm getting second reads. I'm going to take it to my editorial board. Um, I'll say it's going to an editorial meeting. Um, If they're saying we're taking it to acquisitions, I will tell editors it's going to acquisitions and we expect an offer. Um, And then when we actually get the real deal offer on the table, that's when I'll get in touch and say, okay, are you in or are you out? As you know, that was a really bad Heidi Klum no, but it's true. Like, they um, have to make a decision at yeah, that point. Yeah, at that point, you know, I will... At that point, the timeline kind of crystallizes a little bit. And, and once someone has actually put out terms, I have a little bit more power to say, all right, like, hurry up and go to your, your editorial board and look at this and decide. Of course, I say that in the nicest way possible. But it's that's the exciting point, is, is when we get to see, you know, who's going to come to the table and then, you know, talk to them and find out like what they want this book to be. And yeah. <laughs> so I have two linked questions yes. about this. One, how much are you keeping your authors in the loop about the moment to moment updates on this, which I assume varies, but yes. generally speaking. <laughs> and two, how much are you, do you feel like it's your job to be pushing 
your author to like using your own experience to be like, I think we should wait to hear back from this editor, or I think that this editor is never going to get back to us and we should just make it just like kind of, you know, how are you kind of hand holding them through? And I don't mean that in a patronizing way. I just mean, you're the one who knows has the most experience here. How are you kind of guiding your authors through this process? It's, it's definitely as far as feedback. Um, I always tell everyone up front, like, you know, if you are not like totally like if you haven't been on Twitter and faced like the trolls and the negative reviews and all of that stuff, like um, the first stages of a submission are absolutely worst because everyone like everyone says no before they say yes. Um, it's really, really easy for someone to sit down and look, look at something. It's like, was that a good sound effect? <laughs> no, I think you captured it. there, yeah. <laughs> And and say like, no, this is totally not for me. It takes like 30 seconds, possibly. I mean, hopefully, I would, would hope that it would take longer for them to come that to that decision, but sometimes it's a quick decision. Um, for people to get to a yes, it's not only that they have to say yes, but it's like 20 other people have to say yes, too. So Yeah, and it can be a super long process yeah. because just to come to that personal yes, right? Because right. with editors and with authors, it's a project they're committing to work on for you know, three years? creative years to have in the backlist to be working with the author forever. So, you know, sometimes the, I didn't hear for a, a definitive anything for yes. two months or four months or six months can be a better sign than a, exactly. like a, a quick answer because you can tell they are really thinking about it. Yes. Um, oh, so, so. <laughs> and are you giving them updates on like, there? It's an acquisitions this week. Yes. Or like- oh my God. Yes. <laughs> so that was um, what I was going to say is I, I give them that disclaimer up front, and I say if you don't want me to send along all the no's like blow by blow, if you want me to do it like a, a digest email, uh, <laughs> or you know if you want to get every single horrible thing or bland thing as far as feedback, I will send it through, you know, when it arrives, I always recommend like kind of waiting until we start to get like better feedback um, or constructive feedback. Constructive feedback I'll always send through right away. Anything positive, it's like I'm on the phone. (laughs) And, um, you know, because the waiting is so hard that it would be like monstrous if, if something good was happening and I was just like, well, they'll find out in a week or so. <laughs> I'm always, you know, when something good happens, I'm usually so excited that like I can barely wait for like them to hear. So they get that feedback right away. Um, and then it's kind of, again, like kind of setting expectations, like, you know, it's going to acquisitions, but this particular house only has acquisitions meetings once a month on the third Thursday, um, <laughs> which, <laughs> which happens. Um, so sometimes the timeline can still be long from the time when the editor says, I want to try and make an offer on this to when the offer eventually comes in. Especially if it's August or something. Yes, yes. Yeah. There's, there are definitely dead zones, too, in the publishing year where either, like, the entire industry goes on vacation or, you know, there's a big book fair, people are traveling. Um, so we always kind of take that into account. And then, yeah, so, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I gave you, like, eight questions at the same time. <laughs> so, again, so once you're, you're sort of at the point where you're having to make these difficult decisions, how much are you trying to kind of guide – how much do you see it as your job – 
to help people make decisions and how much you just kind of giving them information and letting them do it themselves? I mean, guidance as far as I, as a, as someone who's sort of the liaison into the industry, um, I want them to know, like, for example, if we're comparing multiple offers, I want them to know, okay, you know, these royalties are low or these royalties are standard for the industry and for, for graphics stuff or for the format. Um, I want them to know like whether the rights that the publisher wants are typical rights that, you know, most publishers will, will hold on to or whether they're ones that should be retained by the creator. Um, things like film rights or merchandising. Um, I see especially in comics, more and more publishers want to get into the multimedia, the merchandising and the film and TV stuff. And it's not something that's ever been standard in the mainstream book industry. And it, it's a really valuable part of the rights that you have in your property. Um, so as far as comparing offers and giving people guidance, like I will, I'll give them like all the facts, um, but I never want to pressure them one way or the other, because this is their book. Um, they need to have the right chemistry with the editor and the house, um, and they need to feel really confident about it. And I don't want, you know, I, I'm sort of, I'm sort of the, the cheerleader and the mentor and someone who has a lot of the, the context for different offers in different houses, um, but it's not my property. And so they're always in charge. I'm, I'm never like strong arming them into <laughs> into a deal with, you know, publisher fancy pants or something like that. So pitching this book, you're pitching this book, there's an acquisitions meeting, you're talking back and forth. What is it like to get the book offer? What is that? How does that come? Does it come to you directly? Does it come to the author? Does it come on the phone? Do you feel really happy? Oh, yes, I feel really happy. <laughs> like, I mean, ideally, we're not sending the book out to people that we don't want to get offers from because that would be counterproductive. Um, but even if that were the case, I mean, it would still be someone loves this book and that means other people are going to love this book besides just me um, and the creator. So it's always super, super exciting to get an offer. Usually, I mean, if I'm working with a client at that point, the offer will come through to me. Um, sometimes, you know, we might start working together after they've already gotten an offer, um, in which case they have it and then they forward it to me. Um, but most cases I get an email these days. I think it used to be the case that editors would call and it would be very like pomp and circumstance. Like, like it would be scary. Cause you're like, are you calling because the book has problems and you need me to fix them before you can make an offer? Um, and then sometimes it's just like dollars come out of their mouth and I'm like, Oh, Oh, that's a relief. I thought you were going to leave me a scary voicemail, but it's good news. Usually it comes in over email. Um, I get very excited. I probably tell my mom, uh, <laughs> I call, or in some cases I've emailed the client if, for example, they live in Japan or Australia, <laughs> or, yeah. or, or, Australia or yeah, have a day job. Um, one time I got a book offer while I was on jury duty. So I was literally, you know, like the very, like, the 15 minutes when you're allowed to go to the bathroom, I was trying to get in touch with the client and like negotiate. <laughs> I actually um, got my last book offer while I was on jury duty. It was, you know, 
it's it's a good time. So, you know, that's that's always fun. It's always like that's the best part of the process because everything is kind of full of possibility. And for the first time, like after waiting and waiting, you get, you know, not only validation, but it's usually accompanied by royalties and numbers. Um, and that's, that's a good thing to see. So can you give us a ballpark of how many of these pitches you're, you're sending out a year? Is it like one a week or is it one a month or one every three months? Yeah, and also how many clients do you have at this point? I have, um, and this is like a number that makes my friends who don't work in publishing gasp, which is funny. <laughs> um, I have close to 40 clients right now. Um, and for one person, that would be a lot. Um, but the really, the thing about graphic stuff is that the pipeline is so long that sometimes someone starts working on a book under contract and I don't really hear from them again for like two years, <laughs> um, except for like fun, you know, check in, like this art is really cool. I'm sending it to you. And like, that's like, please, if you're listening to this client, send me more fun surprise art emails. Um, it's really awesome to see books taking shape. But generally I will send a couple things out each month. Um, since I do specialize in graphic stuff and not every imprint does comics, I am very, very careful of like what projects I have out at the same time so that there's not too much overlap. Um, because if I send, if I have two middle grade graphic novels that are sort of fantasy and maybe they're both about witches, but they're, they're very different, but they're both about witches and they're fantasy and they're from middle grade. I don't want to send them both to the same house at the same time because it means that that editor is looking at these two really awesome projects and they're like, well, I can really only pick one of these. Um, and that means I'm making my clients compete against each other and that would be a really mean thing for me to do. Um, so I try and time things with clients as we're developing pitches and sending things out so that I know that the editors that would be really good for it are, are free and they're not like locked into considering other submissions. Um, so it is something that I try and manage pretty closely. And do you have like a, a chart or some other system that like tells <laughs> you when to remind people? I have a massive Excel spreadsheet with multiple workbooks <laughs> And, um, and it's, it's like 1217, send sloth photo around <laughs> to everyone. I find like having the spreadsheet and then having a calendar, a giant calendar up on the wall <laughs> with all the submissions and kind of like, you know, the title, the date it was sent out, the like the date of each follow up. And I try and do it like every six weeks or so, so that like editors don't hate me for, you know, calling them every day. Like, have you read this yet? Um, and enough to stay on everyone's radar. Um, and of course, checking in more frequently if there's like really cool news or someone wins an award or um, we get an offer, things like that. Um, so I have a lot of like visual stuff and and then like the more computery systems that like send me the pop-up reminders, which is super fun. Can you tell me what like deal memos and handshake deals and preliminary agreements, like I kind of have a vague sense just from speaking English what these things mean, <laughs> but I, 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 it's a very vague sense. So the handshake deal, um, which 
is kind of doesn't usually involve an actual handshake because usually you're doing this over the phone or over email um, is basically something that's not generally written down. Um, it would be like, oh, you know, I want to publish your book and we're going to do this and we're going to do it for like spring 2019, you know, hang in there. <laughs> and it is in a sense, you know, if they actually have said like, we're going to do it um, and not, I'm hoping that we're going to do it. Some people would consider that a verbal contract, contract or a handshake deal. Um, a lot of agencies actually, if they don't have a specific client agreement or contract, will say that they're your agent and you have a handshake deal. Um, what that means is you don't actually have a contract and it is sort of at will. I don't love them. <laughs> but um, for deal memos, that is an actual written document that has all of the deal terms that have been agreed between both parties. Um, it is the best thing you can do to, and ask for to protect your offer, um, especially if you're talking with someone, you know, in a meeting or over the phone and they say like, oh yeah, well, you'll retain your film rights and um, you'll get, you know, half of, of, of X and 70% and of Y. Um, and then one of you forgets what you said. And when the contract comes in, it's different. You want to have a deal memo basically to say like, here's what we agreed on. Um, and I will be totally honest, mistakes have been made. Um, because when an offer is made by the editor and by the house, they'll put in a contract request and then a totally different team of people will draft the contract. And sometimes things get lost in translation and you want to be able to go back to that original agreement that you have with your editor, with the offer and say, no, it's supposed to be 75%. Um, it says right here. And you have the email where both people said, yes, this is what we got. Um, this, that's what we agreed to. Um, so a deal memo is very close to like a preliminary agreement. It's sort of the thing that comes before the contract that protects all of the, the terms that you agreed upon. Yeah. And a lot of times those, mis those mistakes are like, I transpose these two numbers <laughs> Absolutely. and not, we drafted this contract so we could screw you out of your, your yes. rights for X, Y, Z. They're like, I would say 99% of the time they are totally just honest mistakes going, you know, from one department to another, but it definitely happens. And that's another big part of my job too, is making sure that, um, the contract has all of the correct terms and there aren't any like weird commas in there that like totally change the meaning of the sentence or things like that. So I know that in certain kinds of books, especially things like licensed books or books that have like a tight timeline, there's definitely a, a tradition, shall we say, of I'm going to start working on this book even though I don't actually have a final contract and in fact may turn in my final manuscript before I have a final. I have definitely done those jobs before. Um, but I mean, I, I feel like those are very specific cases and not actually that super common. Uh, which leads me to the question of like how often, and, and, and especially because like you're doing it because you're on faith, like this is a big movie tie-in or like <laughs> this is like their flagship like tentpole book for 2020. Like they're definitely not gonna screw me over here. But I mean, that isn't always the case. So I mean, how often do you have something where you have like a deal memo or a handshake deal, like a this is all but sealed and then I think all of a sudden it doesn't. I mean, as far as things falling through, um, 
I mean, that's why the deal memo is so important. Um, and especially like I've seen this even more so in Hollywood where you'll have a deal memo for an option agreement and that option agreement doesn't get drafted sometimes for like a year and the client is already like doing storyboards and like turning in work and getting paid that deal memo basically stands in for the contract and that's why it's so important you know, not just for book deals but also for for freelance work this is something that everyone can do is if someone sends through terms and says, okay, well, we'll have the, the PO or the voucher or the contract for you, you know, as soon as they get it ready, you can actually type everything up, you know, in a, in a, either in an email or in a word document, put deal memo at the top and say like, can you look over this and make sure that we have, we're, we have everything uh, we're on the same page and get that. Okay. Yes. We're on the same page. And then you have, a little bit more power. If something does fall through and, you know, the licensor has to cancel the project, then you can make a case for getting partial payment um, based on the work that you did, a, a kill fee. That stuff is good to negotiate up front, but a deal memo can also kind of save you um, if something does go south. And I will say it doesn't happen very often, but it can happen. I was going to say, I don't want to turn this into like horror theater here, but <laughs> I mean, for, for original books specifically, like have, I have never heard of this happening mm. personally, but have you ever had a book not make the transition from a formal offer to a contract? I can't think of a situation where that's happened. Um, there have been like certainly very tense contract negotiations. Like, I mean, if you can imagine me being like scary, <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I've been there. No, I mean, I can write very scary emails and there are no smiley faces or sloth pictures in them. Um, there have definitely been contract negotiations that have taken a long, long time and have gotten to a point where, you know, I or the, the client are, are thinking like, is this going to happen? Are we going to push them, you know, so that they want to, don't want to do the book anymore. Um, but it's never come to that. Generally, you know, even on the really tense negotiations, there's always a, a meeting point where we can compromise. And, you know, the the fun part is like, especially for original book property, somewhere in the house, even if I'm arguing with the contracts person who's never given ground on this particular clause in 50 years, um, somewhere in the house is the editor who loves the project. And like, you know, when the contract person says, get rid of it. This is not going to happen. You know, the editor is like, no, we're doing this. I love it. Like I want, I want my kids to read this, you know? Um, so you always do have advocates in the house too, as well as, as, as the agent. So that actually brings us to the next big question here, which is, I mean, and hopefully you're very rarely in a situation where angry emails are being written, but, uh, do you have advice for authors who are, sitting and waiting through this process in terms of the etiquette of how they should or shouldn't be behaving, like what should or shouldn't they be saying on social media while they're doing this process? So social media is fun. Um, my, I mean, my rule of thumb is that nothing, I mean, aside from like, I'm working on a cool book or I have news, but I can't tell you, like you, everyone knows those tweets. Um, my mom will email me when she sees one of those tweets from my clients and she goes, did you get an offer that you didn't tell me about? Thanks mom. Um, who's probably listening to this by the way. <laughs> um, Hi Jen's mom. <laughs> she's great. Um, I'm, I'm the cheerleader for my clients and then she's my cheerleader. So it's great. But 
As far as tweeting about stuff or putting stuff on social media before the contract is signed, I would say never. Um, not even like publisher so-and-so is looking at my book or I just got news that my book is going to acquisitions um, because that can sometimes actually get in the way of getting other offers because if they see, like if, if publisher Y sees that you're so excited about publisher X, they might say, oh, well, this is clearly their dream publisher. Um, maybe we, we don't have a chance. Um, so I always say play your cards really, really close to your best, um, especially when you don't have a signed contract yet. As far as things going south um, in contracts and with publishing relationships, which absolutely happens, um, it's rare, but it does happen, and it's not fun. Uh, I generally will say, again, like, don't blast them on social media. There is absolutely a space for call-outs when there's something very serious, like harassment um, or a, a work that's come out that's really harmful. Um, there's absolutely a place for that. Um, but as far as disclosing stuff that happened to you at a publisher, um, it can actually sometimes violate your contract. Um, and it can be a really tricky line to walk. Um, and absolutely, like, talk to other creators about it. Um, but you don't want to put it up publicly because it can absolutely deter publishers from wanting to work with you. Um, if they say, because they might not know the details of, of what happened at Publisher X and why that book fell through. Um, they might just see someone who looks angry. Um, and it's something where like, I, I absolutely, if something malicious happens at a publisher or they violate a contract and we have to revert the rights very angrily and, and tensely, um, it's something that I personally would want other creators to know. And I would want them to avoid working with that person or that publisher. Um, but I don't want it to get in the way of other people wanting to buy my client's work. Um, so it's, it's definitely like it's a new age. <laughs> of, um, and I just usually advise people like, you know, talk about it with creators, but keep it, you know, off the public internet is forever space. So comics is a very, very small industry. <laughs> yes. And a lot of us who maybe are doing our first book might have been around socially for a decade by the time we get to that point. Um, and I know a lot of creators, for instance, might know their editor socially before they actually start, for instance, the pitch process. Uh, what's the etiquette for talking to somebody who you know is looking at your pitch? Should you just not talk? Should you just pretend that they don't exist during the pitch process? Can you talk to them about other things? Like, I mean, should they? Should you be nagging them also? Like, Jen isn't nagging this <laughs> this editor enough. Clearly, I personally, author, you know, Q, need to. Yeah, what weekly email them when you see them at a show or at like the ladies' drinks night. Yeah, like, in do you York need City. to pretend like you've never pitched a comic before in your life? I love this. this like, suddenly, suddenly we're strangers. I know that you're looking at my book, and so I can't talk to you. Like we're joking, ever. but this is a serious problem. Uh, no, no, I, I, I totally like, and it's like, I don't know, like. I don't know how I would even feel in that situation. Like if I were the client, like I would be like, oh my God, can I even mention it? Um, I think do like 
act normally and have that friendship and say hi. And you can even say like, oh yeah, like I heard Jen sent you my project, but don't follow that up with, and what do you think? Um, don't leave them like 47 voice messages about it or like... Maybe a polite, I hope you like it. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like just, you know, like like have have chill as the, as the kids say. <laughs> And also, again, uh, and I'm sorry I'm going to be drilling down so far into this, I just cannot <laughs> overstate how much this kind of thing dominates my conversations with other creators about this. Um, so obviously, for instance, if you have your book is maybe going through the acquisitions process with, you know, publisher Y, uh, you should not be talking about that on your public Twitter. But let's say you get an offer from another public, from a publisher, and this is especially a question that you're, you're doing a service now for some maybe unrepresented people who either haven't gotten an agent yet or aren't sure if they're going to. Uh, how much can you talk about that process with other people? Because they'll say like, oh, don't, don't tell anybody, but like, does that mean don't talk about that literally to anybody? Can you only talk to like your significant other? Can you talk to your friends? Like how much is it okay to check in with other creators in private about these things? I think, I mean, I think in private, as long as you're not publishing like the terms of your contract on your blog, um, <laughs> you know, who's to say if you're talking to your, your best friend, who's also a comics creator or you're talking to your mom. Um, but in generally, like you want to, you want to have the disclaimer, like, you know, it's under wraps, like don't tell everyone that I have an offer. Um, don't you go to the convention and talk to this editor and say like, well, how come you didn't offer my friend's book yet? <laughs> um, I think, you know, it's, I, I like comics for the fact that creators are really becoming a community and they support each other and they fill each other in on good practices and bad practices in the industry. And I think that transparency is really important. And as long as you're not putting it online, it's totally cool to like go out for drinks with your friend and say like, oh my God, I can't wait. Like I heard that they're going to take this to acquisitions. And you say, but like my agent says, do not tell anyone. So, so all of this seems like it's pretty stressful. Is it, is it stressful? Is it the pitch process a stressful part of your job and a stressful part of the job for your, the creators you work with? I think, um, it's probably way, way, way more stressful for the creators. Um, because this is something that they've poured their hearts into and it, it could be the dream project that they've been like the web comic that they've been working on for 10 years and now they're ready to to find a print deal for it um it could be something that they've been meaning to draw forever even if it's if it's not that like it's something that they've invested a lot of time in developing a pitch for um so that part and the waiting and the not hearing is super super stressful for me waiting to hear is stressful because like I also, like, it's this is a project that I've fallen in love with or a person's art that I've fallen in love with. Um, that part is the stressful part. Um, once we get into, like, the offers and the terms and the contract stuff, it's like I get to, like, go Wolverine and, like, you know, sprout claws and, like, and be like, well, no, like, this, this clause shouldn't be in here. And um, it's, like, a fun power that I get. <laughs> um, that part is really like I am a huge huge contracts nerd and I love like getting into it with with the contracts people and 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 you know winning 
just winning, but, um, (laughs) you know, like winning someone over and saying like, you know, we want to hold on to these rights or we want better royalties or, you know, we want the deadlines to be pushed back. Um, it's, it's something that is, that's like the most fun part of my job and would probably not for anyone else in the world, but, um, I love the contract stuff so much. So even if someone is, is being a pain and saying like, well, no, we never put that in our contracts. Like it's still like, I, that's an enjoyable part of the job for me, which is probably why I'm an agent and not a creator. I mentioned briefly kind of, for instance, things like work for hire, license books, that kind of thing. Um, so obviously there's different kinds of pitches. Like I, I remember years ago, back when I, I was looking for an agent, I had a conversation with Holly Bemis, who I, you know, she represents Lucy Nisley and a bunch of other really great creators. Uh, and she described the book that I was pitching at the time as like my heart book. And I thought that was a really interesting way of putting it um, because I feel like there's the books that we're doing to pay the bills and there's the books that we're doing because we'd probably be doing it anyway and it would be nice if somebody paid us to do it. And I assume that you also make that kind of division when you're talking to the people that you're working with. And do you advise people differently, both in terms of how to put their pitches together or what kinds of terms to accept depending on their relationship with the work that they're working on? Like, is this something that you're doing because you want to pay rent or is this something that you're doing because it's like bursting out of you and you're going to die if you don't draw this book? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, I, well, I never want someone to like settle for bad terms because even on a project that's not super important to them, um, I mean, if it's work for hire for a licensed property, that's a little different because that's something that you enter into and you never owned that work. Um, like if you're working for like a Nickelodeon cartoon that's becoming a comic, that was never your IP to begin with. If it's something that it's an idea that you came up with and it's all yours, even if it's not your the heart of your heart idea, I never want someone to compromise on terms because that could mean losing your property um, or losing those characters. Um, so there are definitely like conversations that I'll have with clients, you know, should I take this job on? Is it worth it? Um, I do need to pay the rent, but maybe this back and forth process is going to be too much time for the money that they're offering. Um, maybe the stress, you know, maybe I'm going to like blow out my wrist trying to meet these deadlines. Um, that's always part of the conversation that we have. And you know, not every deal is going to be a sweetheart deal where you get everything that you want. But when it comes to your original work, um, there are certain things you never want to compromise on. Um, so that's, so that is part of, you know, what we talk about is there are deals that you'll do to pay the rent, but you want to be careful as far as what you're sacrificing. And we have been talking all about the pitch process, but that is not the entirety of your job. Does this take up, you would say like 50% of your job or 20% of your job? It's, well, it's hard to put a percentage on it, um, especially for things like that sell after a year of, of pitching and, and sending out in multiple rounds. I mean, it's funny because I think I still have clients who feel that most of my job is this upfront part. Um, and that once the contract is signed, it's like, okay, well, you know, my work with Jen is over until the next project, but that's not, that's absolutely not true at all. And, um, it might be true, for example, if you're working with an attorney, um, 
because you're paying them by the hour, and that's a lot of hours. Um, you know, if they're negotiating the contract for you, when the contract is done, unless something happens where you need to revisit that contract and revert the rights or, you know, go to town on someone, um, the lawyer's job is done. Um, for the agent, I am still there, hand-holding and guiding and giving advice through the book, going through production, the talking about the, the jacket, you know, I'm, I'm there every part of the process, you know, not just from the napkin scribbles to the contract, but when the book gets designed, you know, getting editorial feedback from the editor, like sometimes I'm there to say like, no, I think they have a good point or versus, or, you know, I might say, oh no, they're totally wrong. And I'm going to have a conversation with them and <laughs> we'll fix this to when the book comes out, like helping people find resources for like setting up publicity stuff and and getting them in touch with their publicist and setting things up like that um if anything ever goes wrong in the relationship um i always want clients to talk to me first um before you know feeling frustrated and and angry because a lot of times it's like a really quick fix um sometimes it's not in which case i get to be the bad guy and like take that off their shoulders and and go in and like with my claws, my Wolverine claws, and um, make things better as best as I can. Sometimes that means ending the contract, um, but that's something that I do. And then, you know, for clients who have books out, sometimes it's just like fun stuff like forwarding them fan mail and turning down many, many requests from amateur filmmakers to adapt their work without any money. <laughs> and so, I'm basically there for the life of the book and for all of the future books too, like talking about the next ideas and kind of workshopping and the next pitch. Um, so the submissions part and the contract part is a really time intensive, labor intensive process up front, but it's like, a, I'd say it's like a fraction, <laughs> very so small. I think my last question is, um, I mean, in the life of a comic is very long from when you come up with your idea to when you actually have a book and of course therefore they overlap you know mm -hmm. usually you're working on if you're a working cartoonist you're usually working on your next project before you're done with the one you were working on previously pitching is very time consuming and putting a pitch together is very time consuming and stressful and takes up a lot of headspace where do you think is a good time to start doing that like let's say you're already working on one book and you're thinking in the back of your mind what am i going to be doing after this one kind of how should people schedule that well the 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 tried and true advice is always you start your next project when you're freaking out waiting for responses on the one that's on submission. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, everyone that I know in comics has like 57 ideas at any given time. Um, and so it is a balance of working on the book of your heart that you want the book deal for, or that's under contract paying the rent, which, you know, often means taking on freelance side jobs um, or doing a couple of books at the same time. I, I like to say, like, whenever your wrist gets tired, <laughs> it's, is like switch. Or if you need space from the project you're working on, take a break, take a day or two off and, and think about the next book and outline something. Um, 
but I mean, it's great for when you're waiting and waiting for editors to respond, um, to take your mind off things, is to, to think about what the next project might be. There's never a wrong time to start a new project unless you are a day before your delivery of your book, um, and then and you're behind. So <laughs> um, aside from that time, which would be very wrong, um, you know, always be thinking about what you want to do next and keep working on it. So if somebody is thinking, I would really like to work with this Jen Lanann on my next book, and I want to put together this package to show her how amazing this book is going to be, I mean, I know you can only speak for yourself, but what do you like to see from people? You're talking about what you send to editors. Is that any different from what you personally would like to see from people who are emailing you? It's, I mean, it's actually quite similar, um, especially if I've never met the person, I mean, not met, but like if I don't know them from Twitter or if I haven't encountered their work before, um, again, it's like that first impression of like, what is this book? Who is this person? It can vary depending on how much they have. And the one non-negotiable thing that I would say to any artist who is looking to find an agent is you have to have your work online. Um, not necessarily that book because you want to keep it close to the best, but a portfolio site that is not just like a Tumblr with reposts, um, something where I can actually see your art, I can see your contact information, I can get that letter from you that says like, here's my pitch, and maybe it's a Dropbox link or a, a link to Google Drive or whatever, but like I also have a link to your website so I can see your other finished art um, and possibly like other comics projects that you worked on, freelance stuff. Um, I want people to keep in mind that like for many agents, um, there are agents out there who will only work with a client on like one book at a time and have kind of a limited arrangement. But for me and for a lot of agents, like we wanna sign on with someone for the length of their career um, and get in you know, for their first book and, and help make that happen and work with them on all the future books and you know, eventually like be drinking wine together in rocking chairs. Um, <laughs> I want to be able to see who this person is beyond just you know, the rough outline of their book or a couple of finished pages. I want to see like what else they've been working on and what other stories they might have so that I get a good idea of is this someone who is only going to do one book and then decide, you know, okay, I want to become an accountant or is it someone who like this is this is their love, this is their passion and they want to they want to do it forever and ever. Is their art style something that I, I connect with? I have a website at lenanliterary.com. Um, I hope that I didn't just blank out the name of my website. <laughs> um, but you can you can Google Jen Lanann or Jennifer Lanann. There are only two of us in the entire country, and one of them plays softball, and one of them is me, um, <laughs> who has never kicked a softball since like grade school. Um, the fact that you said kicked a softball yeah. was a pretty good indicator of your softball <laughs> <Whoops>. literacy. <laughs> I was, let's be honest, I was probably kicking softballs in That's fair. grade school. That's very um, satisfying. Was, yes. Are you currently taking on clients right now? I am currently closed to submissions for a little while, except for referrals. So if you want to make friends with some of my clients um, <laughs> in a very natural, organic way, <laughs> like we talked about, um, I think, you know, I, I am accepting both client and editor referrals. So like if you're 
in a situation where you have an offer from a publisher, you can ask the editor, you know, do you have any agents that you recommend? I want to find an agent before I decide on anything. And if they say me, then that's cool. Um, <laughs> but And do you have any final thoughts that you want to share? Anything that we missed talking about? The waiting is worth it. <laughs> and um, just keep creating and put your work online and have people see it. And it's... It's good. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. Jen, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you for having me. This has been Graphic Novel TK. In the next episode, we'll be talking about the acquisitions meeting. What is this meeting, you may ask? You'll find out in two weeks when we have a whole hour-long meeting about what it is and what it's for. Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at graphicnoveltk or email us at graphicnoveltk at gmail.com.